Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. The following podcast contains explicit language. You're listening to Working, the podcast about what people do all day. I'm Jacob Brogan. This season on Working, we're talking to individuals whose jobs touch on aspects of LGBTQ life. As regular listeners of the show probably know, I did a PhD in English literature before I became a journalist and started hosting the show, among other things. And one of the people I wrote about in my dissertation was this remarkable uh, queer science fiction novelist named Samuel R. Delaney. Uh, Delaney's books, uh, Dahlgren, Nova, Trouble on Triton, uh, Jewels of Aptor, and and so many others uh, are among the most remarkable uh, explorations of desire and its limits in, in any genre. And I couldn't be more excited about this episode in which we sat down to chat with Samuel R. Delaney, who goes by the name Chip to his friends, uh, about his writing process, Uh, about the way that his own uh, particular desires have shaped his work, uh, and even uh, about the role that that dyslexia plays in his writing, reading, and revising process. Uh, This is one of the episodes I'm happiest that I've gotten to do, and I'm so, so happy that I get to share it with you. Uh, Then, in a Slate Plus Extra, Samuel R. Delaney shares some recommended science fiction novels by other writers that he thinks anyone, uh, whether you're a fan of the genre or not, should check out. If you're a member, enjoy bonus segments and interview transcripts from working, plus other great podcast exclusives. Start your two-week free trial at slate.com slash working plus. What is your name and what do you do? Uh, My name is Samuel Delaney. All my friends call me Chip, and I am a writer. What kind of writer are you? Uh, Well, um, most of what I write is science fiction. A lot of what I write is criticism and um, nonfiction. And um, I also, um, and I've written um, some other things, other kinds of fiction than science fiction. Um, So I write 
generally all over. And I do a lot of Facebook posts. <laughs> a lot of Facebook posts. <laughs> so you've been writing science fiction since 19. Uh, you wrote your first book, Jewels of Aptor, at 19. Uh, you published that when you were 20. Yeah. You are 75 now? Uh, 75. Pushed very, look, very close to 76. Very close to 76. Um, you've also written, as you suggest, memoirs, uh, criticism, Comic books. Comic books. Uh, you wrote two issues of Wonder Woman. Mm -hmm. uh, you've written uh, Sword and Sorcery Fantasy. To yes. Your uh, uh, Neverion Quartet. Uh, Neverion. Neverion? Neverion. I, I should have known that from the diacriticals. There you it. go. That's why I put them in. Neverion. That's, <laughs> that's the pleasure of radio. You get to hear the correct pronunciation. You've even written pornography that you, yes. I think, uh, identify as yes. pornography. Um, given all of this, given the range of your work... Is there a reason that you maybe primarily identify, in some cases, as a science fiction writer? Well, yes, yeah, science fiction is probably where I have the largest reputation. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think a lot of people think of me as a science fiction. I I was elected a, a Damon Knight, Knight Grand Master of Science Fiction um, two or three years ago. Mm -hmm. um, the, the 30th Grand Master of Science Fiction. Third, yeah, 30 or 31st, I don't remember. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. so. so it's just... What you've been doing? Yeah, and as I said, and I, I, I was also a, um, uh, and I was also a professor. I, I was, a, I've been a professor at several universities. Mm -hmm. um, I first at uh, in 1975 at SUNY Buffalo. Then I kind of was mostly, uh, most mostly supporting myself as by writing, uh, and then um, I. Then I went to uh, at, at the University of Massachusetts at Amherst for 11 years, then for two years up at Buffalo again, and then since then um, at uh, Temple University down here in Philadelphia. But you're no longer teaching today? Uh, yeah. No, the teaching is more or less over with. Are you still writing today? Uh, yeah. I, ha I have to write and I have to travel around and do talks. You make more money talking about science fiction than you do writing. It. <laughs> uh, in fact, I think you make more money talking about writing in general mm -hmm. than you do writing. But you've also – I mean you have published literally dozens of books over the course of your – 55-odd-year career. Right, but not dozens of science fiction books. Not dozens of science fiction books, but uh, uh, your most recent full-length book, uh, Through the Valley of the Nest of Spiders. A yes, title that's that I, a great big long one. It's that fat one with the black 800-some pages. Four, uh, but who's counting? Four? four? 804 pages. 804 pages, okay. Who's counting? <laughs> uh, so that book um, came out in 2012. Are you still writing novels now or is most of your writing i mean i know a lot of you mentioned that you publish on facebook a lot of that is essayistic uh or memoiristic short, very short short writing short writing yeah um are you also still writing novels uh novels no i have i have the two novels that were not published that i'm sort of that i've kind of put together and i'm curious how they whether i may be able to place them mm. uh and i have another i have another i have a collection of letters coming out with my university press and the when they they will hopefully will get around to publishing mm -hmm. uh, and a, another collection of essays that again i'm waiting for them to 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 move forward with so this is a show about working about the way we work uh, so i wonder are you the kind of hyper disciplined writer who writes a thousand words every morning between 7 and 10 a.m or do you have a more chaotic schedule i it's chaotic i try to do the writing pretty much first thing in the morning after i get some coffee and oatmeal 
Uh-huh. Uh, that's the first. I get, I Coffee get, and oatmeal is your... I get up. You know, I get up. I go to the bathroom. I um, come out and I make some oatmeal and what have you. And 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 sometimes I get to work even before the oatmeal is, is done. Mm-hmm. You know, if I've got something that's really on my in my head, I've, and those things tend to be those tends tend to be nonfiction of that sort. Facebook, those are the Facebook posts. Yeah. What about uh, when in periods of your life when you are writing fiction, science fiction, or pornography, or fantasy, or whatever, uh, whatever genre you're working in, um, is your schedule different there than it is these days? Well, it, it's changed every. It's changed every time I've moved to a new neighborhood. Now, mm-hmm. this is I've moved. I've only been here for a, co- a few months now. We're in your apartment in Philadelphia. Today. Yeah, here. Yeah, I'll be up and be, up until then. Up until a couple of months ago, I was in at eleven twenty three Spruce Street, which was another uh, another neighborhood, a different kind of neighborhood. Mm-hmm. A neighborhood was in Center City. Uh, it was much more. Um, it was um, on Spruce Street. Uh, and it was much more lively. There were, more, you know, I used to go and I would, I would go and get a a, a latte every morning mm-hmm. from the cafe on the corner, uh, the Green Street Cafe, and I would usually try to take a picture of the first person I saw, <laughs> you know, um, pass by mm-hmm. uh, on the street, and you know, and post that. That would be part of my my Facebook. You know, things. Yeah. Uh, and, um, this, there are nowhere near as many people on the street in this, in this neighborhood. Mm-hmm. This is just, a, is a much less populous place. So you have your coffee here, here in the apartment then instead? Yeah. You, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then do you work out of this apartment or do you have a, a, a separate office that you, no, no, from? this is, this, you, you are, you, I am, we are working. We are now in my office slash living room. Can can you describe this space that you work in to us? A little? Um, well, there's a wall of books behind there, mm-hmm. uh, and then there's another wall of books, uh, and then there are some boxes over there that are left over from the move, uh, which I stuff that I still haven't got unpacked. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, and this is my assistant over here, Hello. Um, uh, Bill. Uh, and he he he's the one who knows how, knows what buttons to push on the computer. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. But do you work at the computer yourself? Yeah, I can do. I mean, I I can do some do some of my things. I can do my writing and what have you. Kind of, uh, but I'm just I'm very dyslexic and uh-huh. have been all my life. Uh, with the result that even the writing goes fairly slow, goes relatively slow, and I always have to go over and correct things again. Mm. Uh, and uh, so even the Facebook. Posts have to get written, rewritten, and rewritten, uh, because I, you know, there are, I, I cannot write type the word dear, hmm. uh, you know, without writing d e a e r. There's always an extra e, you know, mm-hmm. comes in. And then I have to take it out. Yeah, uh, it, um, the dyslexia is, 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 is has been described. It's not a problem with your memory. It's a problem. It's pathological absent-mindedness, hmm. uh, which is a very good, I think, description of it. Yeah, uh, because it, it 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 you can't shake it. Some of it is habitual ab- absent-mindedness, like like the D E A E R. You know, and, you know. But I, I wonder though if if that pathological absent-mindedness has shaped your own writing practice. The obligation to go back over to review. Well, to it, it it made me very it made me aware, very much aware of style. Mm. Uh, because I did since everything had to be retyped and rewritten and and. Uh, and at first, when when I was young, it was a matter of typing it three times. Um, then, when you get to um, uh, word, then you have to, when we get when you get to um, word processors, um, 
there is no just the whole notion of the discrete va- draft vanishes, mm-hmm. you know, and you do, you know, and you just re- rework and rework things forever. Do you? Uh, and you, it's not a, it's not a, it's not a, it's, it's not a new draft until somebody else has read it first. Yeah. <laughs> then yeah. it's, then you've, then you've written another draft. So you're, I assume, a pretty aggressive reviser. Yes, I am. Then. Yeah, I, re- I, in fact, yeah, I, I, I basically, I, I revise. Mm-hmm. I don't write, I revise. Yeah. I mean, you're, known in your science fiction and in your other writing as as a high stylist in many ways and often an experimental one mm-hmm. um your even in your your more mainstream ish science fiction there are still stylistic and technical flourishes in terms of the way you organize chapters uh but but also even more granularly at the sort of syntactical level uh how much of that that kind of stylistic play that shows up in so much of your work comes through in those first drafts and how much of it is a product of revision and rewriting? I couldn't tell you, I mean, most of it, mm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it varies per page. It varies, you know, it very, it very, you know, sometimes I have to rewrite a paragraph five, 10, 12 mm. times. Sometimes, sometimes one will come out, more or less correct the first time, <laughs> except for the odd misspelling. Mm-hmm. And if someone catches it, then it's easy to you know, fairly easy to correct. Yeah. Um, Bill sits there, looks over my shoulder, and, and sort of points it, you know, to to the extra letter or where I've done something stupid mm-hmm. on. Just in right, you know, my emails have to be um, rewritten again and again and again. Mm-hmm. Um, I uh, I used to say I don't I don't I, I can't sign my I can't sign my name to a check without rewriting it three times <laughs> because I'm likely to misspell my own name. Uh, I and I'm in. I mean I yeah. do mis- I actually do misspell my own name when I'm when I'm, when I'm uh, writing writing checks and things yeah. like that. Um, and so you know, you're also I assume from looking around this room, but also from knowing your work pretty copious reader i was uh, i was i find it's harder and harder for me to read as i get older mm. it really is that's another thing that's yeah. that's definitely changed with getting old i don't feel that much like i've aged mm-hmm. you know um i um you know i feel if i you know if i sit back and just i feel you know i feel like i felt like when i was 12 years old you know mm. But I do know uh, my voice sounds a little different. My voice sounds a little rougher to me than it sounded when I was twelve. Sounds very smooth to me. Well, okay, but I but I can hear all the little you know sure the the, the, the little things that, <clears throat> that are that are different about it. Um, I did a lot of singing. Mm-hmm. I used to be I used to I used to be in singing groups and things like you that. You were in a folk group as right. well, yes, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I yeah, and we actually did we were planning to record. I wrote a book about it. Heavenly breakfast. Heavenly breakfast. Yeah, mm-hmm. and um, and and I am I'm in I'm in touch with one of the members of the Heavenly Breakfast Group who came to see me not too long ago, which was great. It was yeah. a guy named Bert Lee, yeah. uh, which was really nice. And I I went over with him to uh, to the and put him back on the train and what have you. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, good guy, very 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 sweet young sweet young man. So not to, although he's sixty something now, I think of him as a sweet young man. <laughs> because when I last, because the time I saw him before that, he was about uh, he was about eighteen or nineteen. And now and he's now he's now just hit sixties. 
So not not to return too aggressively to the question of, of style and uh, composition, but does that musical background, has it ever informed the way you write? Do you, do you yeah. think mm-hmm. of a kind of musicality in your own prose? Right. Yes. I think, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm interested in what it sounds, I'm interested in what the sentence sounds like, its mm-hmm. rhythms and how they play, I, mm-hmm. you know, and play off one, with one another. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, and I have my series of, I, you know, don't put too many, you know, don't watch out for those adverbs, you know, mm-hmm. uh, if they're not doing something really important, get rid of them. Mm-hmm. Um, the, you know, the, the noun, I've written a book on writing. It's right behind you. It's called About Writing. Um, it's directly behind your head. <laughs> see it. Can you see it? I saw it earlier. There it is. There you go. Yeah. Uh, you know, and you know, and and there's a whole group of ten things. You know, the noun can stand up to one adjective. You know, two at the most. You know, and or you have to be doing something really special. Mm-hmm. You know, to use more and things of that sort. You know? Yeah. So you're thinking about the spareness of style. Yeah. Mm-hmm. As well as a sort of experimental, I won't say excess, but right extremism, mm-hmm. perhaps mm-hmm. Uh, that that you can sometimes reach. Um, one thing that, you know, again, looking around this room, looking at the many books mm-hmm. uh, in here. This is, a, this is about, a, what, about a quarter of my whole library that uh, I lost uh, a few, uh, you know, so about a year ago. Oh, no. Yeah. Uh-huh. That, that, I mean, one of the reasons, one of the moving is because I, uh, I, had, to, I had to give up and get rid of, uh, um, you know, three quarters of my library so this is just a this is literally a fragment of what what it once was well and to the even to the extent that it is just a fragment of it one thing that i really notice in this room looking at the books that surround you as you write today is their own variety diversity Mm -hmm, so on here you have you know uh your own books mixed in with uh you know, the comics of Linda Barry, the, the right. theory of Giorgio Gomben, uh, yes, the novels yeah. of Don DeLillo. Mm-hmm. Um, is that kind of... The Roger Zelazny, the Theodore Roger, Sturgeon. A lot, of, the, a lot of science, classic science fiction as right, well. Yeah. Uh, Not people, a lot, a little classic a, science fiction. A little, a little classic science fiction. Yeah. Um, comics the poems, of Chris Ware. The poems of, the poems of um, um, Robert Duncan. Yeah. So, I mean, there's this tremendous variety in here. For you as a writer... Uh, has it been important to, to literally and, and figuratively surround yourself with that kind of thematic, stylistic, yeah. generic diversity? Right. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. I mean. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the you know the, the the I used I used to read the Barry Windsor Smith comics when they were coming out. So, you know when the uh, Conan artist. Uh, the Conan, yeah, uh, who was really extraordinary Conan, mm-hmm. who was an extraordinary artist, uh, and I like that stuff very much. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, given all of these forces that that you're dealing with, all these ideas that are that are coming at you, all these ideas that are channeling through your work, I, I wonder: though, are you an outliner, uh, or do you just dive into a story or an essay uh, and write it as it comes? I will. I, I do some outlining, and I do uh, I do some outlining, and I do some, and I do lots of lots of rewriting, mm-hmm. as I said. And the outlining is part of the rewriting. Mm-hmm. Um, I will outline something. I'll start writing it. Uh, that I have an ideal form which doesn't cover everything, and, you know, but where you, you and you start writing, and you, when you're about halfway or a third of the way through, you see how close you're following the outline, and then whether you want to re-outline it, you know, and uh, mm-hmm. 
and see if it's changed your way. And, you know, that's how I got through the Navarian series, mm-hmm. uh, which is which ended up being, what, 11 novels and, mm-hmm. and short novels and, shorts, and a few short stories, and uh, where the basic form of the, of the science fictional slash sword and sorcery story series is that the problem of you write a, you write a piece and the solution of, um, piece A becomes the problem of piece B. Hmm. And then, which is not the, the, the which is not the progression of, of novel chapters. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's a very different form from the, the chapters in a novel. Yeah. The stories, the novels that compose that, Collection. I'm going to say the name of it wrong. Nevarian. Ne- Nevarian. So accent on the sentence. Nevarian. Nevarian on the second syllable. So the 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 novels and stories that compose this uh, we call quartet sometimes because it's it's composed. Oh, it's, it's eleven. It's, a, it's it's four. Uh, yeah, it's it's, it's four it's, books. Uh, Return to Nevarian is the title of the whole series, mm-hmm. and the series is eleven stories and mm-hmm. eleven stories and novellas and novelettes, which were simply divided more or less arbitrarily, into four volumes. They could fit into four volumes. Yeah. The second volume is a complete novel. Those stories, though, are themselves stylistically quite diverse. You talk about the solution of story A becoming the problem that motivates story, story B. B and so on. Um, there are characters that run through them. Uh, right. Gorgic the Liberator, this this former Gorgic, slave. Cap- Gorgic, I'm Gorg- sorry. Hard, hard G. Uh, learning a lot about mispronouncing things that I've been reading for a decade uh, today, um, and loving it. Um, Gorgik, the liberator, uh, yes. who's this former slave turned turned kind of revolutionary Liber- figure yeah. mm-hmm. uh, over the course of the series, um, but also these these other figures, a, a, a mummer, a, a, an actor who is a sort right. of Socrates stand-in. Yeah, and, uh, and, and it is no accident that in one of the things you learn is that in that la- in this language, Gorgik, uh, Gor- uh, the term Gorgi is the slang term for the for the male penis. Mm-hmm. And it's also, as you're suggesting, sort of ribald, sexual. And and among other things, uh, this series contains what is generally recognized to be the first American novel about AIDS, The Mm -hmm. Tale of Plays and Carnivals, Mm -hmm. which is a a remarkable story book, uh, novel, some of which takes place in our own New York in 1984, Mm -hmm. some of which takes place in this fantasy Fantasy kingdom. Fantasy world, yes. uh, uh, Nawan, am I saying that one right? well, yeah. <laughs> no when, uh, as it's as it's undergoing a, a plague of its own, an age-like yeah. plague of its own. Um, now, that, Navarian is if you read it, it's never yawn, right? And if you put the accents on, it's never yawn mm-hmm. <laughs> across it's, never. Yeah, across yeah. Um, so, but I guess what I'm getting at is um, the the kind of problems that you are opening up in these stories are. Um, not the kind of problems that a casual, maybe we would even say careless reader of fantasy might associate with the genre. You're, you're, you're grappling in these books with, um, in some cases, pressing and immediate issues of, of the moment in yeah. which you wrote oh, them. Oh, yeah, sure, yes. Um, AIDS was going on. What I, um, the, uh, Margaret Heckler made her, her, her announcement of the, you know, of the, of the of the discovery quote the discovery of um, the AIDS virus while I was writing the mm-hmm. book and and I and there's an account of my of sitting there watching it on television mm-hmm. in the book yeah mm-hmm. what's the best way to learn a language immersion living where the language is spoken and using it every day in everyday situations but if that's not on the cards this year you can still learn a language the second best way 
and that's with Babbel. I've used apps in the past to learn new languages, but when I came across Babbel, I wondered if it could help me refresh my knowledge of a language I once spoke well, but was now a little bit or quite a lot rusty. I have to say, I was impressed. The advanced lessons were really useful, tips and idioms that can help with in-depth conversations on topics that I can actually imagine chatting about. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel is designed by real people for real conversations, and the tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. What's more, all of Babbel's 14 award-winning language courses are backed by their 20-day money-back guarantee. Here's a special limited-time deal for working listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for working listeners, at babbel.com working. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com working, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash working. Rules and restrictions may apply. Over the decades, your work has grown um, increasingly explicit about preoccupations with sex mm-hmm. and sexuality, uh, especially around uh, questions of uh, the sort of experience of sexual minority, mm-hmm. uh, of queerness, of, of homosexuality. Um You've sometimes suggested that science fiction, uh, maybe even fantasy, not maybe even fantasy, maybe fantasy as well, uh, genre generally, may be especially amenable to these kind of themes, these questions of sexual and also probably racial uh, minority, because it is itself kind of marginal genre. Now put a great big negative sign in front of what you just said, and you'll make it correct. All right. It's so not, tell me the correct thing. Okay, the correct thing is that there is no spe- something. There's nothing special about science fiction mm-hmm. that makes it amenable to doing that. Okay, there's nothing special about it. It is simply a genre. Um, so many of the people, so much of the science fiction that actually gets published is published by proto-fascists, mm-hmm. and and historically has been. That's right. You know, they often they've been interesting fascists, mm-hmm. uh, and they've been less. Uh, some of them have been somewhat less, somewhat uh, more benign <laughs> than you know some others. Uh, but basically, it's uh, um, you know um, people like Heinlein and Jerry Purnell and and what have you like that. We're we're we're, we're really you know we're far right. You know, mm-hmm. this is a debate as I learned recently that dates back at least to the world first world science fiction. Convention. convention yes sure yeah in, i mean a lot of the a lot of the people on the a lot of the people on the east coast uh were uh, a lot of the people on the east coast were very much on the left mm-hmm. uh and a lot of the, and and they were very you know when i say much on the left i mean they were they were socialists and they were you know the young you know they grew out of things like the young people's socialist alliance and the young things like that and the people on the right coast were people who were very much on the right Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, and for many years, the, the the most popular, the Heinleins, and what have you, um, Heinlein, and you know even Bradbury, you know was a, a West Coast writer, and uh, and 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 basically one, you know, nice guys. Um, I talked with Heinlein once on the telephone, uh, 
when he was trying to solve it. And he was, and he was a big deal. And he was trying to solve a, a, a political problem and he was using the fact that he was kind of the biggest deal around to, um, you know, to, to, to bring people together. And he made a suggestion. And I think everybody, I certainly, I don't even remember what he was dealing with, but I know that I, it's, it made sense after the phone fall. So I went and went along with it. <laughs> um, you know, and people like Isaac Asimov were also, yeah. you know, um, um, were, 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 were very much on the, well, again, was very much a lefty. Yeah. Well, he actually had a, a quite copious FBI file because of that. Yes, exactly. Yeah, right. Exactly. Um, let me ask that question a different way. Um, you are black mm-hmm. and gay. Mm-hmm. Um, your work deals explicitly and maybe increasingly so over the years with themes of race and questions of sexuality. Yes. Mm-hmm. Have you found science fiction to be a useful lens for thinking about those issues to the extent that you think about them in your work? Or is it just a sort of accident of the genre, the, the paraliterary form, to use a term that you've embraced in the past, that you've chosen to embrace? Well, I think it, I think it, it, it does work. I mean, Theodore, Theodore Sturgeon was, was a married gay man. Like, I, you know, I, I was married for a while. I have a child. You know, um, I, um, I possibly Ted thought of himself as, as bisexual. I don't know. I, we never got a chance to ask him. Uh, I, I, um, I know that there are bisexuals out there. I have met people who just are, really are bisexual. I am not one, <laughs> which is why I live with Dennis, you know, today. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, uh, you know, but, uh, you know, and so that's, you know, that's kind of the way, um, that's kind of the way that, that sort of works. Um, I write about those things because those are the things that fill up my life. Mm-hmm. You know, that's why I'm interested in them. That's why I, that's why I write about them. And I write about them as fiction too. Yeah. Uh, although I do use a fair amount of uh, of observation as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, given the longstanding push and pull between left and right in science fiction fandom and, and among science fiction writers, have you received resistance from fans of your work uh, as these themes grew more explicit in your, your prose, in your fiction, your, your other writing over the decades? Um when, what depends on what you mean by fans. Um, I, good point. I, huh? I said good point. Which is to say that I have, I've received hate mail. Mm-hmm. You know, I've received, you know, I mean, I, I can still remember uh, when the third volume of the, um, of, of the Navarian, of, 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 of Return to Navarian was published, Flight from Navarian. Um, I remember getting a letter, uh, um, from some, kid in Canada, I assume it was a kid because of the handwriting, hmm. uh, you know, um, <clears throat> and I opened it up and there was this red in it and it began, fuck you, you think you're so smart and so forth and so on. And just went on from there about how awful he thought this stuff was. And it was because the stuff, you know, the stuff was about gay material. And obviously he was not, he, he did not, he had not picked up a sword and sorcery book planning to read about you know about you know gay gay people 
a lot of those books, whether or not this young man realized it, were very gay. All they, along. They, they were, yes, I know. I mean, and certainly, and certainly, the Robert E. Howard on which which was the basis of the Sword and Sorcery this stuff. The, although the Conan, the, the original Conan, stories. the original Conan series is as gay. You know, it, it had a it ha- and and in one sense, I was just taking what was I had already seen as there and bringing it to the surface. Mm-hmm. You know, because it clearly, you know, it it seemed to be already quite gay. You know, quite as gay as you could want. <laughs> Um, and, uh, but they didn't want it, they didn't want it out there where everybody could, uh, you know, uh, you know, could, could, could see. Yeah. You also have a sizable queer readership yeah. mm-hmm. today. Yeah. And who are very happy with it. We're very, very, very happy. Yeah. Um, but do they ever, I mean, what kind of relationship does that portion of your readership do you think have to the science fictional and fantastic? Well, a certain percentage of, of the, a certain, one of the things that's happened is that the, the, the gay, Readers among fandom are much more out, as is everybody else today. I mean, you know, now it's you know, you know, same-sex marriage is the law of the land. We have not. My Dennis and I haven't been able to do that until because up until fairly recently, Dennis had no photo ID, hmm. uh, and we were only able to get that. He was only able to get that with Bill's help and my help and uh, and the help of a number of other people. Many of them on Facebook. Uh, or at least some of them on Facebook, a, a genealogist named Diane Thaday Sprouse, who had, who ended up getting him being, was, was instrumental in getting him as his birth certificate, he, which he had never had before. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but all of that, you know, um, uh, and so, uh, you know, so the, which is one of the reasons I think Facebook has a, you know, has a place in all of, has a place in all of this. Although I probably, you know, although I also know people who don't um, ever look at Facebook. Yeah. Um, apparently, Bill says the only time he looks at fa- Facebook is when he's looking at my account <laughs> to find out what mood I'm in this morning. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny, uh, you know, to think about a technology like that, or a subset of technology that has reshaped some of our lives mm-hmm. so totally uh for you as a you're not the kind of science fiction writer who was working or has worked in especially predictive mm-hmm. terms for the most part but um what's your feeling about how do you feel as a science fiction writer about having your life kind of reshaped around this different form of networking of relations of relationality well, you know well platforms you know the the tech the technology of that we've got is too complicated and so you get something like um whether it would be my, whether it's my whether it was myspace or whether it was facebook or whether some of the others you know to sort of limit you know to come up with a platform that's easier to handle you know mm-hmm. or just gmail you know or something like that uh or or you know um to because it, it it makes things easier, you know, to 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 deal with, and so that which is to say the uh, or you know or do you do this on a do you do this on your iPhone or do you do it on a computer? Um, that you know this your my, phone my phone and that are your basically the same thing. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, fundamentally they're the same thing. However, thumb typing is one thing, and typing with all five, ten figures, you know, mm-hmm. all, all, with with eight fingers. Uh, and using the thumbs for the space bar is another thing. And so you need, you know, you need several different bodily technologies in order to make use of them. Hmm. And that, and that becomes, you know, and so the, the way the body interfaces with the actual object yeah. is, is, is one of the things that one is always dealing with and always dependent on. And it does seem like 
not to return or to return to your work, it does seem like something, a, a peculiar and unusual way in which your science fiction often plays out, which is that it is, whether or not it's explicitly about queerness or what have you, it, it is work that is often about the body yeah. uh, mm-hmm. and its experiences. I think a lot when I read your work about the ways that you describe people's bodies, the, the things that you're attentive to. One of the uh, kind of personal predilections uh, that shows up, I, I think, in a lot of your work is uh, attention to nail-bitten fingers, mm-hmm. for example. Um, is it fair to say that your own desires, your own thinking about the body plays out in the way you write and the kind of things absolutely. you write about? Yeah, ab- absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah, I, 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 I have a, I have a sexual fetish for, for guys who bite their nails. I, mm-hmm. I'm usually safe in the same room with them. <laughs> you know, I'm not, you know, uh, although I, you know, but it does give me, you know, and I, and it's been there since I was nine or 10 years old. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, you know, I, I was always, it was what I, I would get on the, bu- before I knew I was sexual. Mm-hmm. It was this, you know, I was curious about them. my, my best friends in the, in, in elementary school. Robert and Johnny and Michael Held and what have you were all the nail biters in the hmm. in the class. I didn't even know what it was hmm. in a in a sense. Um, it had something to do, I think, with the fact that I had sexualized the hands and uh, hands. My father had clubbed fingers hmm. and did not bite his nails, and it was something about having coming up with some something that made the the hands very different from the very different from the. Uh, from his, mm-hmm. um, and and it was a displacement of something. My father was not circumcised; I am, uh, and so there was a just you know, and um, and so that's a that was another thing that you know a, a, a sexual difference uh, that was important. I had the 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 foreskin when it is forward on the on the penis looks a bit like the. The, the the shape of a nail that has been bitten, mm-hmm. yeah. You know, I mean, there are all these things that 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 are you know um, that have to do with it, you know, that that that, that connect with it. Uh, Was there a moment when you said, "I'm just going to write about this stuff, these personal desires, this personal yeah. attention to the body in my fiction"? Was that a conscious choice for you? Well, I never. That's never. That's I. That's always what I wrote about. I mean, okay. I, that that was what I wrote about. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I started writing about. I started writing by writing my masturbation fantasies down in a notebook, mm-hmm. uh, down in notebooks, and and I, you know, and they were. The, my mother found them in the bottom of my uh, my my underwear drawer, uh, and took them to my therapist. So I was <laughs> I was seeing a, a therapist, and and uh, um, and you know, and I did not like my therapist at that time. I had a therapist whom I did not trust. I didn't like. He was a, I had I had very much liked the therapist I had I'd first seen a woman named Dr. Green who was a and I liked her and I thought she was going to be my therapist and I was all ready for it and then she just signed me to somebody else who smoked a cigar which used to turn my stomach uh, and uh, and who was given to me specifically and this is this is this is 1948 in a in a nutshell because he was so masculine hmm. and I was supposed to be and I, I needed a, a, a model. Mm. For masculinity, so that's mm. what they would give. So basically, you know, not because he was a good therapist, because because he smoked cigars and was, you know, nothing more masculine than sticking okay. a big old cigar in your mouth. You're right, absolutely. You know, um, 
and um, and I'm I'm still not too hot on I, I like bears, you know, but I'm still not too terribly hot on cigars. <laughs> In fact, I'm definitely not hot on cigars. So you found your own way to masculinity, yeah, right? Exactly, of yeah. a different kind, yeah. perhaps. Uh-huh. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. One advantage of science fiction, arguably, is that it allows us to imagine the world otherwise. Mm-hmm. Um, when you were writing about this stuff, about your masturbatory fantasies, about the particularities of your desire, uh, what have you, it, in science fictional forms, um, was there any conscious attempt there to think about a world that might be more amenable to your particular desires? Sure, yeah. I mean, who doesn't? I mean, <laughs> I mean, I think I mean, I've always I've always figured I always assume that probably Marx had a, basically had some kind of fetish for workmen, <laughs> which is why he wanted more of them in the world, you know, and and, to, and for them to have a better, you know, have a better a better deal. Yeah. You know, because he thought they were, you know, probably he thought they were, you know, at the very least good-looking people. Uh-huh. You know, uh, and or you know, or good, basically good people. So we all write maybe about what we want. Yes, exactly. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, your work, though, I mean, if it is if it is allowing you to imagine a more desirable world, it's not typically utopian. Mm-hmm. Um, these are not. I think you did once use the word pornotopia to describe one of your works, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, uh, and you've also used the term heterotopia, yeah. mm-hmm. a, a concept that comes uh, from Foucault, uh, suggesting a place of difference a place a place a place of difference and it is also a medical term mm-hmm. you know that has to do with um moving flesh from one part of the body to the other yeah that, so that a sex change for instance yeah. is a heterotopia um and 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 in fact in the novel that i'm referring to trouble on triton uh-huh. uh that is a science fiction novel that that deals with with a sex, sex change sex changes yes yeah um you know does any of this stuff, this this need to imagine uh, these kind of alternate configurations of the world, um, has it grown less urgent for you as the world has changed? Um, for me personally, possibly. I think it's grown much more urgent for the rest of the world. I mean, which is to say, we're in a we're in a really strange state right now. Mm-hmm. We we you know, um, the future does not look terribly good. No. Um, you know, and anything from global warming to, um, uh, I just posted seconds before you went in to, before you got here, uh, three articles on, um, three articles on, um, on the possibility of worldwide famine because mm-hmm. of what's going on in, you know, everything from the, uh, what's, I just found a new term for it, insectagon, uh, you know, where the, 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 the fall and the, 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 the huge fall in the number of insects. So the mm-hmm. pollution is the, the uh, pollination pollution. Well, that there's the pollution problem. And then there's the pollination problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, are, you know, are, uh, are, uh, um, are getting out of hand. You know, yeah. we, 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 um, the, 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 the Animal farming and the rage for meat is not going to be, you know, is not is not doing well. 
mm-hmm. for the for the environment at all, you know, because it's making it harder and harder for to to grow to grow vegetables, and vegetables basically right right now are what we need. Do you think of this kind of maybe this is too aggressive a word, but this kind of doomsaying as a sort of science fiction, or is it just fact now? Well, I don't know whether I don't know whether it is just leftover chiliastic panic. Uh, you know, which is to say around the turn of the century, you know, there's always a, you know, there's always a, and, and we just went, came into a new century um, a mere 17 years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we still may be, you know, we may have 20 years of just general, um, or we, or we may be doomed. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we don't, I, you know, we don't know. I'm 75. I don't know where, I don't know what's going to happen. And, you know, I, I hope I last another, you know, five, ten years. I have good genes in the family. Um, I have a, a, a number of plus, hundred plus, um, hundred year old plus relatives. Uh, I can remember thinking that I wasn't probably not going to be here too much after, you know, too much after 60, hmm. you know, and uh, suddenly here I am 75 and possibly, you know, and possibly will be a, a while, a little while. The, my, the last, the last first cousin that I had, um, the oldest first cousin that I had, who was 96 male, uh, just died a couple of, a couple of months ago. Hmm. Um, so, you know, that, that that's, um, maybe I'll make that. I don't know. You know, I don't have no idea what sort of mental health, mental state he was in. I think he was, he tended to drink too much, hmm. even at 96. Um, uh, the picture they had of him posted on Facebook, they had, he was clutching a bottle of Jack Daniels, um, which is interesting because one of the last pieces of gay porn I watched was a very good looking young man sitting on a bottle of Jack Daniels, as it were. You really mean sitting on sitting on yes yes and, and taking it up his butt yes uh, <laughs> uh and he was you know and he you know um, um, where is it it's i believe that's the one I <laughs> to the last man. to the last man yes if yes. you need the title if you need, <laughs> yes uh, yeah it's it's in two volumes uh-huh. uh, <laughs> do you i mean you've written pornography yes. do you take inspiration from Watching porn from no. from looking at other people's fantasies. Um, some, uh, although I'm not a, I, I've always been much more involved in reading mm-hmm. than than, uh, um, and porn in general doesn't really. I, I mean, I I went for a period where I bought a lot of it. Mm-hmm. I've had this for eight years. This movie to the last this, man, and yeah. just got around to watching it mm-hmm. last night. Was it worth it? It was sort of oh oh that's what it's about. <laughs> I do not know whether I will ever go back to it again. <laughs> um, you know, you talk about writing on ecological themes yes. now. Um, you've also written some. I think just yesterday you posted a, a memoiristic reflection um, that that kind of had you returning to the scenes of some other earlier memoiristic writing that you've done. Do you see yourself writing more science fiction uh, as you move ahead? I don't. I don't know. My last short story, which is over there next to "Through the Valley of the Nest of Spiders," uh, which came out in um, the magazine of science, magazine of fantasy and science fiction, um, is a science fiction story. 
um, and um, then and I, my next book that's coming out is a philis- is not science fiction at all. It's something called The Atheist in the Attic, mm-hmm. uh, and it's about a, it's a it's a reconstruction of a of a conversation between Leibniz and Spinoza back in seventeen seventy six, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, sixteen seventy six. No, seventeen seventy six was our, you know. <laughs> uh, no, sixteen seventy six. Uh, Does philosophy uh, play an important role in your reading I, and writing life? It, ha- it has in, in the past. Yes, I, I was a philosophy reader, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, I read a lot of Quine mm-hmm. and Derrida. Mm-hmm. Uh, those were philosophers that I and and, and mm-hmm. a number of others as well. Your work, even your and Spinoza, I right. went. I went through a whole big Spinoza, um, through the Valley of the Nest of Spiders. Is 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 a, is a the philosopher of the book is Spinoza. Mm-hmm. And in your other fictional writing as well, you often cite sometimes unexpectedly uh, post structuralist thinkers like yes. mm-hmm. uh, Carol Jacobs, yes, a yes, of mine. Uh, uh, Carol Jacobs was a say that again. She was a teacher of mine, and I believe a high school she, friend she, of yours. Yes, yes, and she was. I was going to say, I was. I, I was a friend with Carol in, in high school. Yeah, <laughs> isn't it a small world? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, she, she, and uh, Henry, uh, her husband, Henry Sussman. Yeah, yeah. Henry Sussman got got sort of helped me get one of my my first job. At, uh-huh. uh, by well, I guess was it my first? They were there at um, they were there at uh, SUNY Buffalo when I got there. Yeah. And it was it was it was really nice. So you've always been a reader of philosophy and, a, yes. and academic theory. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, one of the reasons your... I got one of the reasons I got hired is because I had read all the academic theory at a point when 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 you know the the only people who were reading it were the people at Yale. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the uh, you know because that was the center of academic theory. Yeah. And uh, you know but, but you went to an ordinary English department in an ordinary um, in an ordinary college and they didn't know who all these people were. We're talking about the mid 70s now right, yeah, before yeah, the, mm-hmm, yes. the French theory made right. its way uh, mm-hmm. in, in force over the United States in the, in the early 80s. Um, so you you are a longtime reader of this work. You've taught it, I think. Mm-hmm. Yes, I have. Um, and you've certainly written critically about it. But do you see your fiction as theoretical or philosophical in its approach, its method? Its well, I, I, other people do. Mm. Other other people do. I do have a. I just got some. some no, not that one. But there is some. I do. I did get an award for uh, from some um, for, for philosophical fiction a few years ago, mm-hmm. and I don't think I ever got the actual plaque for various <laughs> reasons. Uh, would you put it up if you got it? I probably would if I did. If I did get it, yeah. I got this. This is that's an award. That clock over there is an award. Uh, a very that, complicated clock. Yes, a, a very complicated clock uh, yeah. from Callaloo, which is an African American journal. Mm-hmm. And it, uh, so yeah, I probably I probably would. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're also uh, you're listed on the editorial board of a publication called GLQ, mm-hmm. uh, which. Uh, Wait, and those boards don't mean anything. Of, of course, right. Yeah, right. They realize but, that's just your name. Yes. Yeah, uh-huh. Well, so uh, our uh, one of our recent guests, uh, Elizabeth Freeman, uh, was until I think just this month, actually, or just last month, the editor of GLQ for, mm-hmm. for six or seven years. Um, do you still – are you still steeped in that kind of academic discourse? I, 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 I do not keep up with it. I mean, I just, I just don't. I don't. I, uh, um, 
there are not enough hours in the day. And as I said, my reading, re- reading in general has just become harder and harder for me. Uh, you know, I try to keep up with people like Stephen Shaviro and what have you. I try, basically, I, I'm much more likely to keep up with my friends. Uh, you know, what my friend try to read the stuff that my friends are doing, whoever they happen to be, than to keep up the way, the way I did 25 or 30 years ago when I, you know, I, I, every, I would read every issue of Yale French studies that, mm. from one end to the other. Uh, and with the result is that I made some friends, um, uh, you know, f- from, from doing that, you know, yeah. um, uh, Jane Gallup and people like that. Yeah. Uh, important critics, uh, all of them. So I'm going to, to return to a kind of practical question. You, you taught, you said earlier that, uh, you can make more money talking about science fiction in some right. cases mm-hmm. than writing about it. Um, if I may ask, how, how do you make money today for the most part? I mean, a few of your books have been, were pretty significant bestsellers in their time. Dahlgren sold, over a million copies, mm-hmm. uh, and I, I'm sure still sells reasonably well. Yeah, for, still the best. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, other other works of yours are have more cult status. Um, the vast majority are are still in print. Uh, yeah, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is very which uh, makes me feel very lucky. Yeah, but Just, do you? I mean, do you make money from your writing? If I can ask a sort of impolitic question. No. Uh, well, uh, yeah, I make some money for. Yeah, I still. Yeah, uh, I've I have the same agent I had when I was 23. I you know. Some people, I'm, I'm a faithful guy. Mm-hmm. You know, I tend to, you know, I tend to hold on to, if I lock, lock on to someone and I like them, I try to stay with them with the result, as I said, I, my, my, uh, and I wonder, I mean, I wonder how my, if my, my agent is going, who is, um, uh, uh, a year older than I am. What, you know, he's seven, you know, he, he's still going, going. I don't know how strong he is going. <laughs> I assume he is, but, uh, I, you know, um, we, we people on this side of 70, you know, are often, often do things like die. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and I have never, you know, if I, you know, um, if, for instance, I get a call at some point and I, you know, when I hear that, you know, Henry is no longer with us, my, you know, I have no, I'm not sure what I'm going to do, hmm. you know, and, and getting used to, uh, a new, you know, a new agent, Henry, Henry himself makes most of his money from films these days. Mm. Uh, he's, you know, I don't even, I don't even know how many, um, literary clients he has. He, he produces the born, he produced the born identity films mm. and things like that. That's where he makes a lot of his money. I used to, I asked him, I said, why do you keep me on, Henry? And he said, well, you give the place style. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm sorry. He said, you give the place class is what he said. <laughs> Not not even style. <laughs> do you uh, feel that way about your work? Do you, no. Do you class up the joint? No, I don't think so. No, I think I'm just there. Um, and I uh, about the worth of my own work, I cannot know, and you cannot tell me, which is what it comes down to. Yeah. Uh, and that's the that's the that's the that's the, you know you. Um, I have too many reasons to misunderstand you, and you have too many reasons to just lie. Sure. <laughs> for whatever, you know, for whatever good intentions, you know, you want to make the old man feel good or whatever. <laughs> Let me ask this. Uh, looking back on this 50 plus year career, mm-hmm. uh, are you proud of the work that you've done? I did as well as I did the things I could do as well as I possibly could do them. 
that's all I can say, you know. And I have no idea whether they are, you know, as I said, I have no idea whether they work or not or whether they do, you know. Uh, I have a few people who are very faithful readers and, and um, you know, that, you know, I have I have five hundred friends, but I only have seven hundred who follow me, you know, <laughs> on Facebook. <laughs> and of those seven hundred who follow me, sometimes I think it's only twelve who are really pay attention. <laughs> I didn't even know that I could follow you until recently. Well, there you go. <laughs> yeah. Maybe follow Chip Delaney. Uh-huh. Yeah, well, that's just it. I mean, who you know? Even the we, the, the the new platforms have to be. You have to learn how to use those, mm-hmm. um, and. Uh, and if you don't, it's um, if you if you don't know how they, to use them, you're 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 screwed. As a science fiction writer, do you ever feel that the future has gotten away from you? I don't think I ever had it. I mean, I don't think I ever had the future. Uh, people tell me, uh, you know, I mean, people tell me that people people tell me I'm the guy who invented the internet. That's that the book of mine called "Stars in My Pocket Like Grains of Sand." Has you know that every once in a while somebody says, "Oh well, that's the book that invented the internet," you know, and that that uh, you know, and I don't know, I, I I wasn't trying to, I was just writing about something that you know, um, and whether it's it, whether it's at all true or whether it's just hyperbole that uh, never and never believe your own hype, mm. you know, that's the that's the worst, that's the way to get really screwed to screw yourself over. Well, thank you so much for talking with us today. You're most welcome. Thanks for listening to this episode of Working. I'm Jacob Rogan. This week, we'd love to recommend that you check out uh, Leon Nafok's uh, amazing podcast, Slow Burn. Uh, The specter of Watergate haunts the Donald Trump presidency, but for all the parallels staring us in the face, election interference possible obstruction of justice, the naming of a special prosecutor. Uh, Those of us who didn't live through Richard Nixon's downfall have no idea what it was like to experience it. You can learn more about Slow Burn at slate.com slash Watergate. Uh, Here at Working, um, we always love to hear from you by email. You can write to us via working at slate.com. You can also reach me uh, on Twitter. I'm just, uh, I think, Jacob Brogan. Uh, Pretty easy to find there. Um, You can also listen to past episodes at slate.com slash working. We want to give a special thanks to Aaron McGregor, who helped us uh, record this episode, um, which I went to Philadelphia to to do at Samuel Delaney's house. Um, And uh, she also took some great pictures of Samuel Delaney. You can see one of them on uh, Slate's website uh, on the show page for this show. This episode was produced and edited by Benjamin Frisch. Guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.